Well, good morning, BCC. How we doing this morning? Good? Man, okay. How we doing this morning? Better. Okay, sweet, sweet. As Michael already mentioned, my name is James Bond, and I serve uh, as the youth pastor at the Church of Christ in Havana. Uh, and I just want to say thank you, uh, Michael and the church here, the elders. Thank you for letting me do this this morning. Uh, I'm so grateful to be able to speak here. Uh, I hope you guys know that this is one of my favorite churches. Um, I, I love this church. I always tell Michael I have three favorite churches. My home church, the church I currently serve at, and BCC, okay? I love this place, um, and I'm grateful for the way that you have impacted the kingdom here in central Illinois. The way I want to start off my sermon this morning is with a question, and the question is this. Is it possible for one man to change the course of history? John Ortberg, in his book, Who Is This Man?, would say yes. In this book, he goes on to talk about how Jesus of Nazareth has influenced every square inch of history ever since he appeared, whether it be to the way women and children are treated, to the way um, institutions such as cities, hospitals, and colleges are named and founded, even to the way our calendar is set up today. For the past 2,000 years, ever since Jesus appeared, he has affected society in every way. There are currently 2.3 billion Christians in the world, and this is all because one man decided to leave his heavenly home and come be with us. You see, Jesus is a man who has influenced the world for good. Now, when I say good, I mean like he influenced the world uh, in a way that helped people understand how to live their life for God and how that should affect everybody else around them. And so Jesus influenced the world for good. But there are other people who have influenced the world for good. Uh, some people that come to my mind are people like Martin Luther uh, back during the Reformation period who stood up against the idea of indulgences, buying people out of hell. Uh, I think of a person named after Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr., who stood up to social injustice and racism uh, even though it was a very unpopular thing to do. I think of Mother Teresa, who uh, would go and serve the poorest of the poor and love them uh, in a country far away. Listen, all of these people have done good things, and they have, in a way, influenced people to a big magnitude. But please hear me, nobody, nobody has influenced people for good the way Jesus the King has. Matter of fact, um, all three of those people that I just mentioned, uh, none of them did what they did because they did it for themselves. They did it because they knew who Jesus was and they wanted to influence the world the way Jesus had. So today, Michael has given me the assignment of talking about Jesus's life or what some scholars will call the incarnation, how God became man. Now, this is week number two of the series you guys have been in called This I believe, where you're studying some of the core beliefs of Christianity coming out of your book, Core 52, uh, 52, sorry, Core 52. Um, and so uh, Michael last week kicked off your series and did an excellent job talking about this, I believe, loving God matters. And I hope uh, if you didn't get a, catch, uh, a chance to watch that sermon, go online and watch it. They have it on YouTube and Facebook. Um, he did an excellent job with his simple point of this, God loves you. Like it doesn't get any better than that. Like, God loves you, and, and every day you have an opportunity to respond back to that love. And, and we see God's love most clearly for us through his son, Jesus. And so today, my topic that I'm covering is this. This, I believe, Jesus' life matters. 
Jesus' life matters. And the way we're going to cover this uh, is we're going to look at one perspective from the Bible, and it's going to come from the Apostle John. So we're going to look at his gospel and some of the letters. Um, and please hear me. There, all, the other letters of, or all the other writers of the New Testament talk about Jesus' life, but I just want to focus on what the Apostle John has to say. And if I could summarize uh, the, the sermon in a sentence for you this morning, if I could give you the big idea right up front here, that way you know it and know where we're going, this is what it, what it would be. This is what I want you to chew on. I want you to talk about it with your friends at lunch. This is what it is. Jesus experienced life with us, so now we can experience new life with him. This is the main idea for today. Jesus experienced life with, all, with us, and so now we can experience new life with him. And as we go through these texts, I hope we can come to the same conclusion about Jesus's life. One more thing to clarify before we get into the text. Often in the Western world, we only think of one event in the life of Jesus, and it's his crucifixion, where Jesus took our sins upon himself on the cross and died on our behalf. And listen, please don't misunderstand me. This is a very crucial part of the story of Jesus, absolutely, but it's not his whole story. That, that's one day of the two to, or three years we have of his ministry in the Gospels. And so we must uh, not ignore the whole life of Jesus because it's all significant when we try to become a better follower of him. So today, let's begin to find out why Jesus' life matters. And I have three reasons why I believe Jesus' life matters. And here's the first reason. First, Jesus' life matters because he reveals God more clearly. He reveals God more clearly. Listen to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus, or John lets us know as he starts off his gospel right here that he's not just talking about your ordinary Joe. Okay, He is the one who was in the beginning. Here, John is calling to mind the book of Genesis for his Hebrew authors, where it starts off in Genesis 1, uh, 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the word was in the very beginning of creation. And as you continue to read throughout John's gospel, specifically chapter 1, you will see that the word is Jesus. So right here, John is saying Jesus was in the beginning. But then he goes on to say that uh, Jesus was also with God. This means that he was in intimate relationship with the Father. Later on in chapter 1, John will say uh, that uh, the Word is in closest relationship with the Father. But where I really think John would have caught people's attention that day is when he said that the Word was God. The Word was God. We believe in Christianity that God is three persons. Let me see your hands right here. Do this with me. It's like if you shoot a three, you do that. Yeah, Kevin Howell knows what I'm talking about. Uh, so this right here, right? Three persons in one nature. Okay, that's what we believe in, in Christianity. God is Father, He is Son, and He is Holy Spirit in one nature. And so right here, John is saying that Jesus is of one nature with the Father, but He is not the Father. And then as he continues on throughout John chapter 1, uh, in verses 2 through 3 there, uh, Jesus, uh, John again lets us know that Jesus was there in the very beginning of creation. 
that nothing has been made without Jesus himself. So John right here in the first three verses is saying Jesus is God. Jesus is God. But how does Jesus reveal God more clearly to us? Well, let's look a little bit later on in chapter 1 and verse 14. This is what it says. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, the Word, who is Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I love Eugene Peterson's translation of this in his message paraphrase. He, he translates it this way. He says, the Word became flesh and blood and moved in to the neighborhood. What would it be like to have Jesus as your neighbor? Thank you. John is telling us right now that, that Jesus left his heavenly home to come and be with us. You see, our God is not one who is distant, not one who is far away, one actually who is very near, is one who is willing to put on flesh and blood for you and for me. He came, Jesus, to show us God's glory and his grace and his truth. I'm reminded of a story from the Old Testament with Moses um, in Exodus 33 and 34, right before these chapters, the Israelites create this um, horrible sin um, uh, where they create a golden calf and they start to worship it. And Moses comes down from the mountain where he was talking with God with the Ten Commandments in his hands, and he sees what's going on, and he's frustrated, and he breaks the tablets because of what the Israelites are doing. And, and Moses pleads uh, on behalf of Israel to God to, to not destroy them because of this heinous act that they have committed. And God shows them grace, and, and he, doesn't do, uh, he doesn't destroy them, and instead um, they're forgiven. And, and Moses is a little bit worried at this point, because God had promised to um, Israel that he would be with them as they go into the promised land. And so Moses goes back up to the mountain, and he pleads with God, and he pleads with God uh, to go with them into the promised land. And God, of course, says, yes, I'm going to go into the promised land, Moses. It'll be okay. I'll be there with you. But Moses, I think, I don't know if it's in arrogance or if it's in like, just like, well, I've got him going with us in the promised land. Why don't I ask this? Uh, in Exodus 33, he, he asks God, God, show me your glory. And God, I think, laughs at that question sometimes, but he takes him serious. And he says, Moses, if you saw my glory, if you saw my full glory, you would die because I am holy, I'm set apart. But because you asked... I will go in front of you and you can see a glimpse of my glory. I will cover your face and then just for a moment you will see my back. And so Exodus 34 is this where Moses goes up on the mountain. He's standing on a rock. God covers his face and then eventually uh, Moses gets to see a glimpse of God's glory. See, Moses got to see a glimpse of God's glory, but one person got to see the full glory of God. And that is Jesus himself. John, later on in chapter 1, verse 18, he says this. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. You see, Moses longed to see the glory of God, the full glory of God, and he couldn't. And maybe we, we long to see the glory of God. And the great thing is, is that we can through Jesus. Because Jesus reveals to all of creation who God is if he were to put on flesh. You see, Jesus can reveal God more clearly because he is, the one and only, uh, he is the only one who has seen the Father fully. He is the one who is in closest relationship with the Father. It's kind of like a mirror. Um, how many of you looked at a mirror this morning before you came to church? Let me see a raise of hands. How many of you? 
okay, for some of you. I'm just kidding. Um, so, yeah, um, I had to look at the mirror this morning, and it's like, oh, Jesus, help me so that my beloved wife loves this, because I'm just like, man, sometimes, I'm just kidding, she loves me well, okay, it was a joke. Um, but, like, a mirror is super helpful, because when you look in a mirror, like, you can see, like, I love corn, I eat corn on the cob, like, it's no business, okay? But, like, I get corn in my teeth, and it's like, okay, I need to go look and make sure I don't have corn in my teeth. So, a, a mirror is helpful for that, right? But a mirror is also helpful because it gives you the exact representation of what you look like at the time. And listen, if we were to give God a mirror, Jesus would be his exact representation. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says that Jesus um, is of the exact being of God. He looks exactly like God. He is God. So when we see Jesus, we are looking at who and what God looks like. When we see Jesus, we see a perfect representation of God. We see a God who is loving and gracious. A God who is with and for his people. A God who is willing to perform the miraculous, but a God who is there in the hurt and in the silence. You see, Jesus is the perfect representation of God. And he reveals God more clearly because he is God. So maybe some of you in the room this morning, maybe you doubt God. Maybe, maybe you don't truly know who he is. Maybe you don't um, exactly know who he is, so you haven't placed your faith, faith in him. And if I could give you any advice this morning, it would be this, to open your Bible and to read one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and to look at the beauty of Jesus. Look at Jesus and see how he is the one who clearly, uh, who reveals God more clearly so that you can come to trust in him. You see, God is 100% man, or Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. And throughout church history, we have fought tooth and nail to keep that true. We have always wanted that to stay true. Now, that doesn't always mean we completely understand it, but it does mean we cannot have one without the other. Jesus is the divine human who reveals God more clearly to us so that we can come and trust in him. This is why Jesus' life matters, because he reveals God more clearly. But secondly, the reason why Jesus' life matters is because he came to destroy sin. He came to destroy sin. Listen to what 1 John chapter 3, verses 4-5 through 5 says. Everyone who, or who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. You see, Jesus didn't just come to reveal God more clearly, but he came on a mission. He came to fix what has been broken for so long. All of creation has been broken since Genesis 3. I call it the saddest chapter in the Bible. Because it's the chapter where man thought that they knew what was best for life. It's the chapter where man thought they could become God and no longer depend on him. In Genesis 3 is where we see the first two humans, Adam and Eve. And they take the fruit from the tree that they were not supposed to take from. And they eat the fruit that God told them not to eat. And from that moment on, sin entered the world and our image was tainted and creation has been hurt since then. But I'm so grateful this morning... Because I get to tell you that our God did not leave us on our own. He, he didn't just say, yeah, handle it yourself. I'm out. I'm done. But instead, our God was so gracious that he came to fix the problem himself. He came to fix what has been broken for so long. He decided to come and fix the problem himself. For this is the of the creator. For man cannot solve this problem because we're made in the image of God. It was only Jesus, the God-man, who could come and fix what was broken. And the way he did this 
was by putting on flesh and living a sinless life. First John tells us that Jesus lived a sinless life, and that's what's so crucial about Jesus. If anybody ever asks you what's crucial about Jesus, tell them he lived a sinless life, because this is what makes Jesus so wonderful, that he wasn't just a great moral example. He is that, but he is so much more. He is the only perfect human to live before Adam and Eve sinned. He is the only one who has walked this, with, walked this earth without sinning. Jesus lived a life that we never could. You see, because we are all sinners. We have all disobeyed God. We have all gone our own way and said, I'm going to do life on my own. But this is what makes Jesus so great, is that he came to fix that problem. He came to destroy sin. Now, when I say he came to destroy sin, that doesn't mean he like completely got rid of it. Um, if you turn on your news tonight at 7 o'clock, you will see that sin is still very prevalent in the world today. But what I do mean when I say he came to destroy sin is that he came to make it not so um, wanting as a Christian. Uh, he, he came to make it not so uh, desirable when you follow him. He changed the way we view sin because he came to destroy it. And the way that he destroyed sin was not only living a sinless, perfect life, but willingly being beaten and spit at and mocked, and made fun of, and then being put on a cross, where they put nails in his hands, and in his feet, and they put the sinless Lamb of God on the cross, and he bore your sins, and he bore my sins, and in that spot on the cross, Jesus died for us. There was no life in the author of life for three days. His disciples were hopeless. It seemed as if the enemy had won, but the disciples didn't realize that that day that Jesus died, he actually defeated something else. It seemed as if Jesus lay in a tomb for three days, as darkness had won, as sin had won, as if the enemy had truly conquered Jesus. But as followers of Jesus, we know that our King Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. And when he rose from the dead, he proclaimed that he has victory over death and sin and that those who follow him have that same victory. You see, Jesus is our saving king. Through him, we have victory over sin and death. And this is why the life of Jesus is so life-changing for us because he came to do it all. We didn't have to do anything. We just accept this wonderful gift and follow him. You see, in the Old Testament, uh, to talk about the crucifixion a little bit more, uh, in the Old Testament, God used a sacrificial system where a priest would be um, sacrificed, or a lamb would be sacrificed on behalf of the people of Israel, and then there would be a goat where the priest would lay his hand on this goat, and he would confess all the sins of Israel on this goat, and then the goat would be let go, and, and it would be uh, taken out into the wilderness. You see, the Israelites were given grace by God. God is gracious in the Old Testament. Please know that. But it wasn't solving the sin problem. There was still the sin and iniquity of the people that wasn't getting paid for because it could only truly be paid for by a human. Because God, a goat cannot bring God moral perfection. Therefore, it was not only important for Jesus to put on flesh, but to live a sinless life. Because only the perfect would be acceptable before God. So Jesus... He, he takes our place. He becomes the sacrificial lamb, the perfect sacrifice on God's behalf so that we can become a forgiven people. He died and he rose again to receive the forgiveness of sins for us, but also, catch this, catch this, we get to become somebody new. We get to come become somebody new. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says that this, Therefore, if anyone 
is in Christ. The new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. I love this verse because it tells us if we pledge our allegiance to Jesus the King, then we can become somebody new. If we trust in him with our whole heart, we can become somebody new. One of my mentors, Mark Scott, often says, Jesus didn't come to make you better. He came to make you new. And listen, that's good news for us this morning, that we get to become somebody new in Jesus, that I don't have to be old James anymore. I can become somebody new because of what Jesus has done for me. Therefore, Jesus came not just to defeat sin, but to give us new life. So maybe some of us in the room this morning, we feel broken. Man, our sin is weighing heavy on us. We feel as if we will never break away from this sin problem. And you just may not feel like you're good enough for Jesus. But can I tell you that Jesus has come to make you new? That you don't have to sit in your sin anymore. You can become somebody new in Jesus. So whatever it may be this morning that's holding you back, can I ask you to, to become somebody new in Jesus? Don't miss out on the opportunity today to say, yes, I'm all for Jesus. I want to follow him with my whole life. If you want to do that, Please talk to me, talk with Michael, one of the elders after the service. We want to talk to you about what it's like to follow Jesus with all of your heart. Because remember, you can become somebody new in him, and that's good news. But for those of you who have been following Jesus for a long time, maybe a couple weeks, months, years, decades, whatever it may be, can, my, my prayer for you this morning is that you would be grateful to our king who took our place and who de defeated death for us so that we no longer have to be uh, uh, identified with our past, but we can be identified with Jesus, and we can become, um, can continue to live in the new identity that we have in him. So Jesus came, uh, the reason why Jesus' life matters is because he defeated death, but the last reason why Jesus' life matters is because he shows us how to follow God. He shows us how to follow God. Throughout the ministry of Jesus, we see him constantly saying, I've come to do the will of my Father. Jesus was always dependent on the Father and listened to everything that he had to say. He was always wanting to glorify the Father in all things. We see this throughout the Gospel of John when he says in John chapter 8, verse 28, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, that's talking about his crucifixion, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. He also says in John 5, 19, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And lastly, he says in John 14, 13, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, praying to the Father, right here Jesus is, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. We can see here that Jesus was always doing the will of the Father. He was always speaking with and paying attention to what the Father wanted him to do. His utmost goal in his ministry was to glorify the Father. But one thing I think we often forget, uh, the reason why Jesus came down, was to bring God's heavenly kingdom here upon earth. He shows us what it's like to live life in God's kingdom. He shows us by the way that he lived, that he wasn't just coming to destroy sin, he wasn't just coming to reveal God more clearly, he was also coming to literally bring God's kingdom closer to us. To invade the earthly with the heavenly. That has always been God's intention. Not to be two separate places, but to merge together as one. And you see, Jesus does this by the way that he lives. Jesus showed us what it looks like to be the perfect human. What God intended for humanity, we just need to look at Jesus, and that is what God intended for it to look and be like. 
that we would live and serve as if we were serving God himself. Jesus demonstrates to us how to follow God with one simple word. And if there's one word I want you to remember besides the main idea, it's this one. It's humility. Humility. Jesus demonstrated how to follow God with one simple word. That's humility. In God's kingdom, the people who are last are actually first. The people who serve others more than themselves are actually winners. The ones who listen and care more for the needs of others are closer to God. Jesus demonstrated humility all throughout his life. He demonstrated it by leaving his heavenly home to come be with us. He demonstrated it by listening to his ragged disciples' needs. He demonstrated it by getting on his knees and washing 12 guys' stinky feet. He demonstrated humility when he had gone to the garden to pray right before he was crucified, and he praised this prayer to the Father, Abba, if you are willing, take this cup from me. And I think in that same breath, Jesus says, yet not my will, but yours be done. Then just hours later, Jesus was taken and tried before Pontius Pilate, and instead of rebuking them and letting them know, like, hey, you're talking to the God of creation, he doesn't retaliate. He sits, and he takes the abuse and the, the humility and the shame of being beaten and crucified on our behalf because he knew that this was the only way to save all of creation. You see, I truly believe that the number one quality of a disciple in God's kingdom is that of humility. And if I can be completely honest with you this morning, this may be like the hardest thing to do in our world today. The world is all about me, I, and myself. It's never about our neighbor. It's never about loving those around us. It's, it's never about seeing what others want. It's all about what can, what can I do to get what I want today? Or how can I get that person to serve me? And to be really honest, it can be easy and, and can be tempting to go towards this mindset. To think that I deserve everyone to serve me. That, that I should get what I want. In 2007, there was a book that was written called The Secret by Rhonda Bernay. Now, I will confess up front, I haven't read this. I've only read snippets. Um, and, and I hope I don't put her in an unfair criticism, but... Um, I hope you haven't read the book, to be honest. So, um, now, uh, so uh, this book has sold over 30 million copies, uh, and it's translated into 50 different languages, okay? So it's, it's done fairly well. But the whole basis of the book is to think more positively so that the world will conform to your demands. Um, although that doesn't sound very selfish, I think she gives very selfish advice in the book. She says this at one point in her book. She says this, to avoid listening to people Talk about their illnesses or problems because their negative thoughts might cause you to lose your positive energy. She also says at one point, never sacrifice either financially or personally. Her advice is truly, always put yourself first. And if you don't, that's why you don't have an abundance of possessions. Now, although this book may be an extreme case in our world, I still think it shows how our world does not care about those around it. That, that it's all about trying to get what it can get. It's all about the self. And as we know, living in the kingdom of God, life is lived as Jesus lived. We, uh, which means we live the opposite of this woman's advice. We don't take her advice. Instead, we live for people to love and serve them as Christ has loved and served us. Jesus, at one point in his ministry, says in Mark 10, 45, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then he tells his disciples later on that if they truly want to be a follower of, of him, they must deny themselves and pick up the cross and follow him everywhere he goes. 
So Jesus demonstrates to us humility, and then he tells his disciples they must pick up their crosses and show humility as well. So BCC, how will you demonstrate humility this week? To your neighbors, to your friends, to your coworkers, to your classmates. How will you show humility to others this week? How will you live incarnationally? How will you be the embodied Jesus to those around you this week? I'll give you some advice. First, you can't do it on your own. Uh, Jesus promised that when he ascended into heaven, he would send his Holy Spirit to come and dwell within believers. And listen, the Holy Spirit is God's actual presence living in our lives to help us be more like Jesus. So if we ever want to be able to be like Jesus, we have to ask the Holy Spirit for help. And so this week, as you were thinking about how to show humility, ask the Holy Spirit for help. Ask him to guide your ways. Ask him to be uh, the mouthpiece and the feet and hands of Jesus to those you are around this week. Maybe this week uh, you will come around some people, and I, and I hope that you will not neglect the Spirit of God when he nudges you to go help that lady across the road who, who can't mow her yard because her husband passed away. Or maybe this week, maybe even today, as some of us are leaving, or, or later on this week, we're going to pass a homeless person on the side of the road, and, and the Spirit will nudge us. Will you show them Jesus, and will you show them love? Maybe it is just by giving them money, or maybe it is actually sitting and telling them about Jesus. Maybe for some of us in the room this week, the way we can be more uh, uh, humble is by being more generous with our money. You know you haven't been giving as much as you can, and so maybe today you make that sacrifice to put, uh, to give more uh, to God's kingdom. Maybe for some of us in the room, uh, it's allowing others to speak before we do. Couples in the room, I, I catch myself doing this all the time. I, I often speak before I let Miss Whitney speak. Maybe, maybe we just need to let our spouse speak first this week and, and let that happen throughout the rest of our lives, Right? Maybe, maybe we can show more humility in that way. But maybe for the kids, we've got kids in here, we've got teens in here. Maybe for you this week, the way that you can show humility is by like listening to your parents when they tell you to do something. And not only that, but being more helpful a little bit around the house when they ask. Of course, if they're being tyrants, well, then that's probably a problem. But, um, but for real, like can we show more humility the way Jesus has shown humility? The great thing um, is that we have an opportunity this week and for the rest of our lives to embody Jesus to those around us. So what will you do? The great thing about serving Jesus is we serve with an earthly mind. Jesus came to bring God's heavenly kingdom here on earth so that we may have a taste of heaven here. God always wanted us to have a heavenly mindset because we are a people who long for something greater, something more, something eternal. That's why Dallas Willard says this, we are unceasing spiritual beings with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. You see, we long to be a part of something greater than ourselves. And the way we can be a part of something greater than ourselves is living the life that Jesus lived in his kingdom. He has brought it here to us, and now we can play a role. So what will you do? I just got the opportunity this fall uh, to be the assistant junior high football coach at Havana. Um, I love football so much, okay? It's my favorite sport by far. Go Kansas City Chiefs for all you Chiefs fans. How many of you are Chiefs fans? Oh my gosh, okay, I came to the wrong, thank you, Michael. Um, so yeah, um, so uh, I'm a Chiefs fan, but I love football, okay? Football has taught me so much about respect and toughness and relationships because um, I played football, so that's how it taught me it. But one thing I love most about football is that when all 11 players come together and play as a team, they have the best chance of winning. That team has the best chance. 
But the team, but the, but the players who often think they can do things on their own and don't have to communicate with the team, uh, that's when football becomes very difficult. And listen, God's kingdom is like a football team. There are spots open for everyone to play. And he really wants you on the team, but he's not going to like force you in and kick you in there. No, he wants you to come in and he will help you when you're here. So will you join the roster and play on the greatest team of all time? Or will you sit by yourself and continue to think that you can do life on your own? You see, Jesus, the king, wants you in his kingdom. And he wants you to show him to everyone else by the way that you live. So stop playing by yourself and come join the team so that you can experience life with Jesus and live the life that you were truly destined for. And remember, if the incarnation, if Jesus' life teaches us anything at all, it is this. Jesus experienced life with us, so now we can experience new life with him. Let me pray. King Jesus, we are eternally grateful for what you have done on our behalf. That you have died and you have rose again, that you are the king, creator of the universe, that when we pledge our allegiance to you, you are faithful to us, you love us and show us grace, and we are forever grateful for that. But I pray that as we leave this building and go out into the mission field, that you would remind us that we are to embody your life to those around us, that we would live incarnationally as you lived. And may you help remind us that you have given us new life, and we should tell everybody about that. So we love you, King Jesus, and we pray all of this in your name. Amen.